This is Talk To Me. Your host, Joshua Toomey, bring you epic rants, anecdotes, and interviews with heavy hitters from hardcore. A new life begins! To hair metal. is Talk To Me. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Talk To Me, episode 239. The guest this week is John Keevil of Warbringer. Great new album, Weapons of Tomorrow, out April 24th. And man, do we go all over the place in this episode, and we get into how his his uh, background and history shapes his thrash. So uh, without much more of my ramblings, let's get into some Warbringer. Talk to John Keevil. Listen to uh, Glorious End off the latest album, Weapons of Tomorrow, once again out April 24th. So let's talk to John Keevil.
All right, guys, we've got that John Keeble of Warbringer on the line. Weapons of Tomorrow comes out April 24th, and it is an absolute thrash masterpiece. So, John, how are you doing today, sir? Well, hell, thrash masterpiece. I guess, I guess better after you said that. <laughs> <laughs> it makes yeah, these uh, crazy every- times better, right? Yeah, um, you know, in the immediate time, we're just sitting in our house nonstop, uh, which and the the weather just got nice. It's all sunny, which is a, a wonderful change. But uh, yeah, going a little nuts over here. If it weren't for interviews and putting out the record or such, I'd really be pulling my hair out right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's got to be a tough time for uh, for the artist to to put out albums at this time. It's either a I guess it could be a double edged sword. I mean, I guess a lot of people don't have anything better to do than to listen to the new album. But uh, but man, it must it would be nice to get out and tour. That, yeah, you you pretty much nailed the situation as far as I can tell. Um, that seems to be the one potential upside. I feel like, uh, you, you know, Murphy's Law. I feel like Murphy's Law hangs over my entire <laughs> life pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I feel like, oh, yeah, I put out a, a sixth record and we're going to try to, you know, push the success of the band further with this record. We're so proud of how the, the thing came out and it shows us at our best. You know, we got to release it during coronavirus. Shit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, so that, that stings for sure. Um, but we got to do the best we can. We got to believe in the quality of the music we're putting out and just hope that, uh, people will respond to it based on that. We're not really able to do what we need to do to promote the damn thing. Right. Yeah. This will probably be one of the first times you were probably at home when the, uh, the, the release came out, correct? Pretty much. I mean, usually within like a week of release, we're out. I mean, that's what you do. That's how you support a record. So it's uh, the entire model is you put out a record and you tour on the record. That's that's what Warbringer has been doing for 12 for like, you know, over a decade now. And uh, it's just weird to not be able to. Um, I don't think I would be gone yet, but I think I was going to be out of here like at the very beginning of May. And that never happened. Right. The um, you know, the the climate right now is a lot of, you know, bands doing online some you know online concerts online this online that and you know thrash is kind of one of the genres that doesn't really uh lend itself to to you and an acoustic guitar sitting down and playing songs off the new album so i mean what are you going to do to kind of uh to kind of you know promote this in any other uh kind of out of the box way we've done one thing actually that is kind of cool uh so i agree with you i think that kind of like a live stream concert from a thrash band is kind of uh it's almost like a, a tease, you know, because what do you want to do at a thrasher? You want to, you know, get in the pit and jump off the fucking stage and bang your head and stuff. It's that raw adrenaline, adrenaline, uh, sorry, adrenaline, uh, energy and adrenaline. I liked adrenaline in there. That was a good word. You might want to use that one day. Adrenaline, yeah. Adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, it's what they put in Monster Energy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um... So, yeah, that raw adrenaline uh, there just, you know, it seems like from your screen, it's not quite the same thing. We we thought about that. But what we ended up doing is actually something we were kind of doing when this was uh, the pandemic was in its infancy. We, we filmed a major documentary about ourselves and the record and i wrote uh i wrote up a 17 page script for the thing because i was like i wanted to tell a certain narrative oh nice regarding the record and uh it's called the science of thrash we put out the first episode for the black hand reaches out recently but it's 10 we did one for the whole record what's kind of cool about this is uh 
I really tried to write it in such a way that we broke down not just what's on the songs, but the process, how we wrote the songs. So uh, who who from the band speaks in which order is actually arranged chronologically to who had the first idea that we started building off of, then who added to it, and then we might have circled back around to the first guy. So actually sequentially show the process of how we wrote each and every song on the record. Nice, yeah. And people love that stuff, man. Some of my biggest episodes are when I talk to a, a band member about a specific album and we go track by track. You know, people love, you know, diving into that type of stuff. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that was the hope, basically, is uh, one thing, too, I just wanted to show, like, hey, man, there's a lot of thought and content in these songs, and we wanted to do a piece of media that really brought that to the forefront. You know, nothing gimmicky, nothing silly, just like, here's, you know, a deep dive on the content of the record. And uh, we try to write a record that's got enough content that you can really do that dive. Yeah, you know, I'm a huge documentary guy, and I'll watch a documentary on anything, you know, no matter what it is. It could be a a shark, or it could be, you know, a a country music artist I've never heard of. You know, I'll watch it. Okay, I'm kind of like that, too. I was watching a good one last night. I might want to recommend you then. All right, we'll get to it. And, you know, but what it is, is like, even if you had a preconceived notion about something going into it, once you watch that documentary, you're like, man, there was... Actually, maybe a little bit more substance behind, you know, said pop star that you just wrote off for being a manufactured artist. But then you watch a documentary on me like, oh, wow, actually, they wrote their songs or they, you know, they had experiences that that mimic your life and things like that. So, you know, any kind of documentary, anything you can do like this, what you're doing now that can shed some light on what you guys are doing, I'm, I'm assuming is uh, always going to be positive. Yeah, I, I like to think so. Um, and I think it's just cool that we get to kind of the idea is to let the viewer sort of get inside our brains and see how we did it. Um, so, cause I get that question in interviews a lot and I feel like I can never sort of properly explain it. So we, this is an attempt to like really explain something as kind of nebulous as the songwriting process. Right. Cause there ain't one specific process. It's sort of, uh, you know, you sort of got to follow the winds of where your good ideas are. Oh yeah. Agree. 100%. What was the, uh, what's the documentary you've got to uh, recommend? Oh, oh, you ever heard of Operation Odessa? I don't know what that is. No, what is that? Okay, so basically it's a documentary. It's kind of made in the style of like a heist or crime movie, you know. Um, but it's basically about a few 90, early 90s gangsters. And what they're doing uh, is this guy from Russia goes to Florida, hooks up with like a American guy and a Cuban ex-spy. And these three guys put up the scheme where they're going to go into the collapsed Soviet Union and they start out, they're getting helicopters. They get these helicopters and they, you know, Soviet military helicopters, some of the best shit in the world. And they're selling them to the Cali cartel in Colombia. <laughs> okay. And then like they finally go, they, they go down, but the, the way they go down is they're doing this scheme where they go out to Russia. They find these former Soviet admirals they go to a secret a top secret submarine base and they're gonna buy like a 1960s russian sub for (laughs) 35 mil which is dirt cheap for what that is um to go and smuggle cocaine and the u.s department of defense and nato get involved because now you're talking about a submarine that might have tactical nuclear capability and all that shit and so they're like fuck you know so they they fry themselves doing this but it's just a, a really crazy heist that they're trying to pull nice. uh, one of the guys ends up not even going to buy the submarine but taking the first 10 mil from the cali cartel and going on the run which is just like dude you got a death wish uh, we've watched enough ozark to know that's not a good idea 
no, no, you you don't you don't go <laughs> running from the mob. You know, after you fucking they their whole business model depends on now killing you so that everyone in their business knows they can't be crossed. Because if they can be crossed, they have no authority. That's insane. That's insane, man. One of the you know I listen to a lot of podcasts, especially when I go to work and stuff, and I've <clears throat> been getting into a lot of crime podcasts. And it's funny how much like the littlest thing how. Either A, detectives and the police are amazing at their job, or B, you know, people are just that irresponsible and they, they, they like leave one thing and then, you know, it's like they'll, they'll, they'll go back to a cold case from the 60s and find a hair and do some DNA testing and find out, you know, the guy's been a, a grandfather for, for 20, 30 years and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just, it's insane how the, how people get caught uh, doing stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. Dude, um, the the other one I watched. I mean, this is maybe we're off the interview topic by now. You can use this <laughs> we'll or come not. Back. We'll I watched come back. Another. I I, wa- I was home all day yesterday, so I watched two whole. I watched a whole docu series, and then that thing I told you about, and uh, then I watched something about the campaigns of Alexander, um, <laughs> all kinds of random shit. But uh, it was uh, this one called The Devil Next Door, or, and it was about a guy called John Demayuk, who was like an old fucking auto worker in Cleveland in the eighties. And as it turns out, these allegations surface that this fucking old guy, he went to church every Sunday and stuff. Uh, someone's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. You were the guard at the gas chamber at Treblinka. Oh, I watched that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I watched that. Yeah, I watched that, that was that was crazy. And when you talk about like the, they got this Israeli on the defense, it, like so they actually got an Israeli attorney to defend this guy. And he becomes like the most hated man in Israel, you know, because he's a, <laughs> a Jewish guy defending someone who's, you know, Holocaust survivors like look at his face and they're like, you were the one, you know, and it's like, whoa. But then the the evidence trail is actually pretty convoluted and wild. And it's like he wasn't that guy, but the trials reveal he was at a different death camp. And so he like he somehow like the appeal process goes on so long that the guy fucking dies before anything actually happens to him beyond endless legal limbo. And it's like, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a mess, man. I've got uh, some some podcasting friends in the Cleveland area and a little bit a little bit older than me. So it's like they remember when all that shit was going on. So I was like, do you remember when this was happening? And they're like, yeah, but uh you know, do you think that you get into the documentary type stuff and, and even want to document your own band? We'll kind of get it back to, to Warbringer, but, you know, sure. doc, documenting your own band it, just because of your history, you know, history major and, and, and your, uh, you know, knowledge for uh, your thirst for that type of knowledge. I think so. I think that kind of drives me to want to put something like that out rather than something that's more like uh you know, mass entertainment focus, I guess, you know, we're not getting all like me, me or whatever uh, goes viral these days. I want actual content. I believe in real substance behind our music. You know, I don't view it as, I don't view metal music as this disposable thing where right. I'm going to be listening to this record this week and another, a new one the next week. And they're all interchangeable. I, I very much like keep going back to the same, like, great records that i think are great and some of them are totally famous and some of them aren't at all um but i want to make those that's my goal um so i i think that anything we i kind of decided in the last year anything we do is going to be serious and like have real content and really like dig into ideas and the music and then the music itself is going to be serious and about real stuff and have real content you know yeah um i think that in some ways this is my reaction against some of the stuff i see in the world where i think i think the mainstream culture is very superficial 
I feel like if you're writing a song and your song's basically like, I have money and you would like to live my life. Fuck you. That's not a very good song idea. You know? Yeah. Um, not you, but you know, no, no, I got you. It, it, fuck the people who write this and the people who buy it. That's my opinion. No, you know, people don't have to like it, but that's what I genuinely think. Um, and I don't want to be that. I want to be the opposite. I want to be like, I, I think music's something that you should really have like ideas in where the, this song's about something. It doesn't have to be all heady every fucking time, but it, you shouldn't just go straight to the lowest common denominator every time either. Um, and I like to get imaginative. I like to talk about events and I don't like, you'll never hear like dates or places, uh, that kind of stuff in our songs. I always try to extract the theme from an event and channel that into the song. So if you dig into it, you can get into what I was really writing about from a more, I guess, documentary perspective. But if you just listen to the song, uh, you'll get the picture. So an example of that is like the black hand reaches out. You don't have to know anything about Gavrilo Princip and Franz Ferdinand and Balkan nationalism and all that shit to understand that this is a song about an assassination. Right. So I try to do it that way. You know, there's no like mention of the year that I, so I, I have a certain way that I try to put real subjects into my music that I guess serves the music first, but doesn't skimp on the content. Right. I mean, that's been one thing with the metal, you know, my whole life growing up listening to it and uh, you know, y- it's almost like a history lesson if you go into like some Iron Maiden and even uh, I was joking one time on here with uh, Mike Al from Metal Church that, you know, when Titanic came out, I already knew the story of Titanic because they had a song about it on a uh, blessing in disguise. So, you know, it's like, it's like <laughs> you know, you, 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 uh, you not only turn it on for, for the great music, but you also sometimes get a nice little history lesson at the same time. Yeah. And well, it's not because you want to be in a fucking classroom and you listen to metal. It's just because like stuff's interesting, like the the story of time and all the stuff that happened to people. There's tons of interesting shit that happened there. You know, a lot of stuff that in the, you know, I guess the classroom setting people think is like dry or boring or something. It's like, dude, if you put yourself in, I don't know, uh, you know, in Congress, when they're like trying to pass an important and controversial amendment that changed the lives of everyone in the country after or uh the American Civil War, you know, any of the fucking wars anywhere, that's crazier than probably anything you or I have ever lived, like, will ever lived through. So if you actually think about it, a lot of the stuff that people see as, like, dry isn't. It wants you kind of apply imagination, basically. <laughs> and uh, so I think that that's something great about uh, media and, like, metal as well. Uh, Iron Maiden is a huge influence on me in this regard, where they can kind of put you there, you know? Um Ace is high. Whether you know about the Battle of, Brit- of Britain or not, you feel like you're fucking flying. And that's, you know, so I think that that is kind of dr- uh, drives my theory of how to write about events and real stuff in songs is you put the song first and the feeling first and you just link that with by the music and the aesthetic of the song to the real thing with a couple like neat references that you can, the, the kind that you can either kind of skip over or dig into, you know, where it's not like in your face too much. And, uh, you know, like aces high, you, you can tell not only that they're flying, but that they're flying in the battle of Britain because he says spitfires and Emmy one Oh nines, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so just a little thing. There's like one line that specific that specifies where you actually are. And the rest of it is just flying, you know, and, uh, the image and the feel, 
So I think that that really informs how I incorporate this kind of stuff into songs in a way that's uh, it's still the song. It's not a fucking lesson. It's not a documentary. Uh, the role of the song in this regard, I think, might just be to spark the interest or to like put the image in your head and kind of break that wall uh, to where you don't connect to the events. It puts you to where you music is such an emotive thing. That I think it puts you a, to a direct it puts a picture in your head and an emotional in you that uh, hits you in a different way than like reading a book about it. Right. You know, one thing I'm not, I'm not super conspiracy guy. Like I've never, you know, I'll I'll, I'll watch like the zeitgeist stuff and be like, oh, that's a good, you know, that's a pretty good theory. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious to see in, you know, 20, 30, 40 years when they make the Netflix or whatever the equivalent of Netflix is the time documentary about this time about the coronavirus, you know, what we're going to find out if it was, you know, man-made, you know, biological warfare or was a mistake or, you know, it's, it's any of that stuff where, um, you know, obviously most things were probably being told in the, in the press and in the media are probably sugar-coated, but, uh, I, I can't, I can't wait to see, you know, kind of what really is going on right now. And it probably won't happen for another, you know, 30 years before we really find out what happened. Oh, I, I mean, I feel that way is true because uh, th- there isn't the same kind of agenda behind hindsight as there is uh, with reporting in the present. Right. Um, it will be interesting to see. I'm not a conspiracy guy myself. Uh, actually, are you familiar? There's a logical principle called Occam's Razor, O-C-C-A-M apostrophe S. Uh, and it's, it's kind of one of the greatest things ever. Okay. Uh, so I'll tell you about it if you'd like to know. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, this is the best thing to use ever. If you ever hear shit like we didn't really land on the moon or, you know, any uh, any like 9-11 was an inside job, so on, so forth. Name your conspiracy right. theory and Occam's razor will fucking shred it. Here's how. Um, Occam's razor, it's, it's just a logical principle. It's true about 98% of the time. Um, the sim- If you don't know the answer for something, the simplest explanation that raises the fewest additional questions is the one that's probably true. That's Occam's razor. Okay. So let's pretend that we're talking a kid steals cookies from the cookie jar or there's, there's cookies missing from the cookie jar. Who did it? Right? Well, it's either the kid who, uh, who said he didn't take the cookies from the cookie jar and he's lying and he did it. Or, the story he's telling you, which is a man came in through the window. Yeah. You remember that one? Yeah. 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 Like a man came in and took the cookies. I didn't do it. So Occam's razor proves that the kid's lying because for the kid to take the cookies, all he would have to do is want the cookies, take the cookies, eat them, and then say he didn't. Cause he knows he gets in trouble. It's pretty simple. There's not a lot of like, you know, there's not some wild unknown factors there right. for the man to have come and taken it. OK, who is this guy? He's willing to break into a house for some fucking cookies. How did he even know the cookies were there that he wanted? You know, how do you know they weren't oatmeal raisin or something? And then like, you know, and nobody fucking saw him and there's no trace that he's here. You have to answer all of those as like come up with a plausible answer to every one of those questions in order for that theory to be true. So just it's got more hoops to jump through, uh, logically speaking, if that makes sense. Right. No, so I gotcha. if, you, if you apply this to like to conspiracies, they fall apart and fold. It's beautiful. It's brutal. Um, I have. I'm not conspiratorial, but I will tell you I'm angry about the world. I don't like it. That's why I'm screaming into this microphone, making records sound like the one you hear. Um, 
the, so I do think that a lot of stuff like, you know, the corruption in government or something, right? People always like to think about that as if it's some grand conspiracy because things seem to be working so bad. It must be right. But there's another uh, Occam's razor would say it's just fucking naked interests that a lot of the the stuff that people think is done by some shadowy deep state or, you know, some people go way off into like shape shifting reptile kind of bullshit. Right. Um, the stuff that people attribute to that is actually just like obvious and blatant interests of more or less the financial, you know, the people who financially benefit from the way things currently are want to keep it that way. It's really just that it's not any more complicated than that. Uh, and, so, you know, I was watching this guy, Richard Wolf, who was talking about, like, look, if, if you have this kind of financial inequality, the only way to maintain it is to neutralize the political system. So it, it's not actually this wildly conspiratorial thing. It's actually kind of like, well, the shoe fucking fits, you know, and it's sort of an obvious thing, which I think is a little counterintuitive to some people who imagine that for things to be as kind of askew as they are, it must be some grand shadowy thing. Right. Because I watch too many damn movies. <laughs> <laughs> watch too many damn documentaries, and that's where we end no, up. Too but, many uh, movies, not enough documentaries. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> you watch the documentaries, you'll get the sense of how shit actually works. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sick. Of, I'm sick of movies, man. It's always like you know, you fight the bad guy, and then he's like, "You were always so naive," and does a monologue. It's like, fuck, this is stupid. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm 33. I've seen this like 600 times. I'm over it. This sucks. You know. <laughs> We were watching something the other night, and you know, we had, both my wife and I both listen to a lot of crime podcasts, so we always talk about them. And can you believe that's how that that person got caught and shit like that? And something was happening in the movie, and we're like, well, that that would be, you know, he wouldn't have uh, not noticed that, and blah blah blah. Like we were just sitting there debunking the movie as we were watching it because we're so crime knowledgeable now and how the uh, the, the the police work and stuff. So it was, it was it was pretty funny that we've gotten almost too. Uh, too into our crime documentaries that we can't even watch a crime drama anymore. Oh, dude, dude, I'm like that with war movies, man. My my dad passed that on to me. You know, if you see like you're watching something, you see like, uh, you know, a certain type of tank in World War II appear in a time where they wouldn't have had that one. I'll right. be like, eh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> turn it off. Or uh, even in fantasy stuff, one of the ones that really pissed me off, I mean, just in general, but the, the Hobbit series, which was such a letdown after Lord of the Rings, um, the Battle of the Five Armies, a scene I really liked in the book, um, they kind of, they had this part where the orcs and goblins are charging the dwarven shield wall. And, you know, the fucking point of a shield wall is you sit there and you absorb the charge and you, you actually use the shield wall that you formed everyone into. And when the orcs are getting close to the shield wall, instead of like sitting there and taking the charge and, you know, they break upon the dwarven anvil or something cool like that, a bunch of elves leap over the dwarves and then the dwarves and the shield wall also charge. And I'm like, what the fuck was the point of your formation? That's so stupid. You know, you're just doing shit to look fancy and cool. And then also, I, I don't like the super like rapid fire shots and also spoiler alert for every superhero movie ever to come that to ever be made the good guys win that is true I hate yeah, to break so, it to so, you. <laughs> yeah i hate to break it or, or like they did infinity war which is like the good guys don't win to be continued and then everyone's <laughs> like oh my god i wonder what's gonna happen next sequel the good guys win there it is no one could have seen it coming you know, they had a fucking recent Simpsons where they're talking about spoilers on those. And 
uh, Bart Simpson was like, nobody knows what's going to happen. I alone know. You know, he like somehow finds out what the plot of the next Marvel movie is. And Homer Simpson's like, let me guess, the good guys win. And Bart's like, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's always a, another great conspiracy is that the Simpsons have predicted everything. Oh, uh, they, they, I've seen some of that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not one of those who like knows every episode. Right. Right. I watch, I watch cartoons sometimes, you know? Uh, but as far as I can tell, there might be something to that. You know, they they had, didn't they have like Trump as president sometime in the nineties on the Simpsons or some shit like that. That's a weird one. Someone even pulled up a clip of, uh, I think it's like Lisa walking by a like a taco stand and it says twelve hundred tacos for twelve hundred dollars. And now they're like, see, they even predicted the stimulus check. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so which I would love to just buy twelve hundred tacos with my stimulus check. Oh, uh, well here's here's some news about the stimulus check and uh so apparently though if you the twelve hundred dollars stimulus sounds great, oh yeah, twelve hundred dollars. But uh, until you measure it against what uh, the cost to the taxpayer is of the uh, the large scale bailouts that they've done for the second time now in a generation, uh, you know, which I'm highly, you know, I got to write some more songs about this. I got one, Towers of the Serpent, that kind of is an allegory for wealth inequality. But I got I got to do some more pissed off songs about this because it's getting bad. But uh, the the cost per taxpayer in the country for this uh, bailout they're doing is 18k. So what you really should see the 1200 on is you're getting a 1200 rebate on your 18k. You're getting taxed so that you know the the fiscally irresponsible uh, titans of industry here uh, don't go under. You know you will. Right. Oh, it's you know, been and a mess, that's man. that's more of that like this. That's more of, that's what that kind of brokenness in the system is why people think shit like the government's run by a secret cadre of shape shifting reptiles who want to destroy Earth. You know, that's the kind of shit that makes people think that. I do love that the uh, the essential worker, you know, about six months ago was getting crap for wanting fifteen dollars an hour, but then now we're like, no, 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 Taco Bell and please, please stay. You know, go work. We need you. You know. Well, I mean. There's this rhetoric that America's really bad at uh, believing that basically it's the guy at the top who's in charge of everything, you know, sort of the great man theory of history, but very much applied to like personal enterprise and economics, you know, that that if it weren't for the Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg's of the world that we wouldn't get anywhere that the those guys kind of bring us all up, you know, and raise our economic status. And I think that it's pretty much a load of bull that. You can't have these, you know, like tech giants and captains of industry, as as you used to call them in the 19th century. You can't have these guys without the fucking labor force that actually makes their company work. Right. You know, even if they're the guy with the brilliant idea or whatever, you need the execution. You know, the general without an army isn't a fucking general, you know. Um, So it's. It's kind of a. I think that coronavirus basically proves. Oh yeah, that it's actually the bottom that the economy rests on. It's it's a pyramid, and the fucking top bricks don't sit there without the bottom bricks. They would have nothing to sit on. So I think it's kind of a great crime in world history that uh, the that this lie that uh, you know you you should that the top's responsible for all the good in the world and that they deserve all the wealth they could ever want as, and more as a result, you know, is, uh, I think it's really damaging to society. And if you look at 
statistics about the shrinking of the lower and you know what's happening to the middle and lower class in america it's just you know you look at that and you go what you're okay with this you know it's a it's a bad picture it's pretty grim and it, it doesn't li- really live uh, leave me much hope for my own future or financial security you know i see economic articles t- calling uh, the millennials which i'm on like the very oldest end of uh, the lost generation. That's not a great comparison to make. Those are the guys that were like shell shocked and missing arms after World War One. You know, <laughs> it's uh, that's a pretty sad comparison. If that's what now I've seen multiple media outlets make that one. Uh, we get three major financial crises that you know. You know, you have two thousand one the dot com bust. You have two thousand eight the major bank bailout. You know, and then two thousand twenty coronavirus. That's three in one. You know, if you're twenty now, yeah, you've been hit by three major financial catastrophes uh, that are supposed to kind of come around about once in a generation. So, what are you supposed to do? And the, the answer, pretty much, is suck it. You know. <laughs> When when you go through, and I'm sure you're a reader, and I'm sure you you like to learn about a lot of this stuff, and so when you come across a a a, a piece of time, a piece of history that you want to write about, maybe in the future for a future album, how do you you know comp- uh, compartmentalize that? Do you put it in a note in your phone? Do you just be like, hey, I need to write these lyrics? You know, when it comes time to write lyrics, you know, where do you go to find? Oh yeah, I needed to write a, a song about that type stuff. Um, usually it starts with a single line. So I won't like ever really start like on a event or theme until I can get like a I can distill it to a line that I'm like that sounds metal, right. you know. Until I get there, I won't do it. So the black hand reaches out. I just had the chorus line for the longest time, and I kind of wasn't even thinking about the literal black hand. Just you know, I'm thinking, oh, I might use that as a figurative thing. But then when I came down to write the song, I'm like, no, I'll just write it about the actual black hand. Uh, it's a real organization that existed, you know, I'll just do that. And, and I, that, you know, it's got a, got its figurative tinge anyway, or, uh, sometimes the title come first, like woe to the vanquished. I'm like, that's a sick title. And I end up kind of doing it about like the sack of an ancient city and the kind of cruelty you'd see there and sort of trying to move it towards, you know, get the listener to question like human nature itself uh, via that. Um, I got an idea I'm sitting on now here. I, I came up with this the other day. I was thinking, um, what if I did something kind of like Woe to the Vanquish, you know, where it's more like themed around ancient warfare, pre-modern stuff. And I, I was like, dude, um, Charlemagne had a sick line that's kind of evil. Uh, when they're going around converting the pagans in the early Middle Ages, there's this phrase, and I'm paraphrasing here, but something like uh, pretty much you you can convert, uh, you can accept our God or meet yours. And I'm like, that's a pretty Ooh, good one, you know. Nice. So something... Uh, you know, stuff like that. I'll try to like latch on to like some cool sounding phrase and I'll start there because it's a song and you need a fucking cool title and you need a cool phrase. Uh, Firepower Kills started that way. There's a that's that that song has nothing to do with the time period I got the phrase from really or relatively little to do with it. Um, ooh, coffee on. Uh, but <laughs> so, uh, you know, Henri Philippe Pétain, who's a hero to France in World War One and then a traitor to France in World War Two you know um but in before world war one he said firepower kills and what he's saying is weapons of today are too fucking scary you can't just go charging into fields anymore you'll get cut to pieces he was right no one listened so uh i took that idea and i'm like oh yeah that's how it was a hundred years ago what about tomorrow and that's kind of where the whole album idea came from so even you know i, I can yoink from uh 
past events and stuff without even necessarily writing about those events. I can just take the theme and extract it and run with it, you know? <laughs> nice, nice. Well, John Kievelman, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. And like I said, the uh, latest album, Weapons of Tomorrow, out April 24th. And uh, we're going to end this one off with Glorious End. So uh, give me a little, a little uh, story behind that song. Oh, shit. Well, there's a hell of a story here. I don't know how I'm going to top the inspiration for this one. It's it's one of my uh, favorite lyrics I've ever written. Uh, I think it manages to get a pretty, like, emotive side into thrash along with the anger. You know, it's uh, epic for sure. Uh, I was traveling around. Uh, it was actually on the tour. I was on a Warbringer concert tour, and we had some time off. And I had gotten married on that trip, so my wife and I were going around Europe seeing stuff. Uh, I wanted to go to the Belgian town of Ypres. Uh, which was an old World War One battleground. They got these monuments and stuff there. So we go, and uh, you know, there's this uh, monument called the Menin Gate, where they have this ceremony called the Last Post, where at 8 p.m. they sound this solemn bugle call for the fallen of World War One. And you know, it's this really solid thing, and it's being into this giant arch. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I had wanted to see it. I'd known about. It. So we go to see that. It clears. You know, it's powerful and somber. And uh, I go and I turn the corner and there's this wreath of poppies laid there. And there's a guy I'm standing there August 7th, 2017. And there's a guy there who is named Kevil, K-E-E-V-I-L. So spelled one letter off from mine, but pronounced the same in the British Army. Kevil's an Irish name. So that checks out. And he had died August 7th, 1917. So 100 years to the day. I'm standing there just randomly. I'm on tour. I wanted to check out this thing I knew about. Um, and I see a guy with pretty much my name who died exactly a hundred years ago to the day there. So that tripped me out. And actually firepower kills and glorious end both come from that exact same trip. I wrote both those songs that day. And did I write anything down? No, almost never. I don't write anything down until I'm getting to like a late stage and filling in the, the verses and stuff. Uh, all the original, like the starting points for the song, just sit in my head and, and ferment there. And if they don't, if I don't remember them, that means they weren't good enough. Uh, so I, I pretty much just remembered it. But Glorious End, I wrote all the lyrics to it that night. Um, the entire outro verse and choruses verbatim as they are. And I had the idea for the verse. It sat there for three for more than three years. And now it's getting released. So uh, it was written off of the lyrics to the music, you know, to the music. And uh, I, I did the father voice. There's a little father son dialogue thing going on there. What I was trying, I, you know, I felt really sad when I was in Ypres thinking about all the, the brave dead men. And uh, I just was like, man, these guys, you know, you, that just die in these futile, hopeless attacks, getting cut to pieces in no man's land by machine guns for, you know, a few inches of ground. What was going through there? You know, it's like on one hand, that's really tragic and really almost foolish. And on the other hand, I'm like, I admire these men. Could I be that brave? I don't think so, you know? And uh, there's something just so tragic about it. And so I wanted to really like capture that kind of not the battle itself, but what makes these guys tick? What makes them go into the battle? What do they say to themselves to get them to do that? And when and I started thinking about it at that angle, the song sort of just came to me. And then to actually write it with Carlos, you know, because I'm the only guy who's into this stuff, really, in the band. 
So to write it with Carlos, I went and I don't have any music for it. Uh, it's all just lyrics and I have a feeling in mind. And so I, sh I basically I show him a bunch of clips from movies. I showed him the beginning and end of uh, Gallipoli, you know, which actually has Mel Gibson in it from the early 80s. Uh, that one has uh, it's got this father who's like telling his basically hyping his son up like to be a great runner. And then at the end of the movie, when the son's got to do an attack on a Turkish trench, um, he starts quoting what his father figure said to him. You know, how fast can you run, boy? As fast as a leopard. You know, he was a track runner. Um, so and there's just something really like tragic when you wed that personal like father son. I I'm going to do you proud. I won't be a coward. I'll be brave. That kind of thing to the sort of tragic and pointless result. And uh, there there's just some real like emotional wait there and uh so i wrote that song to try to get it i love how that one came out it's probably my favorite on the record so there's your in-depth explanation of glorious end <laughs> all right man well uh i appreciate you taking the time today good luck with the uh new album and uh we will talk to you soon awesome hope you enjoyed the interview thanks for having me oh absolutely man take care adios bye-bye
All right, huge thanks to John Keevil for taking the time today. Make sure you are rating, reviewing, subscribing to Talk To Me wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a nice five-star rating, nice five-star review, Apple Podcasts, or a Facebook recommendation on the Facebook page. Hopefully everybody out there is washing their hands, not touching their face, and staying uh, six feet away from everybody. (laughs) So for the Talk To Me podcast, I've been Joshua Toomey, and I will talk to you guys next Thursday.